0: So everyone welcome to the char podcast this is your host kushal mehra time for a discussion the american elections have just uh, i don't know are they done are they not done they seem to be counting even as, as we are going to do this discussion right now so that that's a separate issue but so it's time to analyze the american elections from a indian perspective and uh, i have with me uh, to, to, to discuss the same shreemai thanks a lot for coming on the podcast
1: Thanks for inviting me, Kushal. Thank you so much.
0: So, Shima, uh, this, this is your first time on the Chartwork Podcast. So, I'd request you to tell everybody a bit about yourself so that, you know, the listeners and the viewers of the podcast can get an idea about who you are, where you come from.
1: Okay. So, I I am a senior editor at First Post. I write on strategic affairs, politics, and a little bit of policy issues as well. I'm a keen tracker of uh, of international relations, and that is where my interests lie. And uh, I've been writing a lot, in, in case you've uh, been regular visited First Post, you'll notice that I've been writing a lot on India-China relationship as well. So I, I think that uh, what is happening in America holds a lot of importance for us in India as well.
0: So let us start from here, Shrimoy. So let us break this down into two halves. So the first half, what let's do is we will discuss this as an outsider looking and analyzing what happened in America at at an electoral level and then maybe we can uh, extrapolate it and then we can discuss the importance of these results from the Indian perspective so so my first question to you would be that uh, as always and the same thing happened in 2016 where the polls were saying oh it's a route Trump is going to be walloped, uh, it's a route, Hillary Clinton, uh, 90% people are saying Hillary Clinton is going to win. It was pretty much the same thing this time. They, they predicted a route for Trump. But even if we assume, uh, you know, keeping aside uh, the the shenanigans of Trump uh, and him being a sore loser, did, so my first question to you is, do you think the exit polls got it right even this time? Was this a route?
1: No, it was by no stretch of imagination was it around in fact i'd I'd say that uh, i would say that the exit polls got it uh, wrong again, and this won't be the first time the exit polls will get it wrong because I think there is something fundamentally wrong with the with, with the procedure of cephalology as is being practiced, and not just in the u s uh, even in bihar, the exit polls were was terribly wrong uh, Trump got over seventy million votes which basically means that among all the eligible voters in America, nearly half of Americans voted for Trump. So no stretch of imagination was was that route. And even as we speak, um, some of these uh, results are are being challenged by the Republicans in in, in courts. So we don't know the result of those challenges yet. Uh, For now, we have to go ahead with the assumption that Biden is the president, but he will be the president who will have almost half of America against him and trump is not the sort of person who generates a mild interest in you he's a, he's, a, he's a cult figure so there will be people who absolutely hate him and there will be people who will worship whatever he says so uh, trump is a is is a rather difficult opponent to have if you are in the president's chair and he'll be powerful Yeah, it's
0: it's fascinating like uh, i don't get it the- How can exit polls get it so wrong? I mean, I'm not going to compare them with India because I don't believe India may exit polls get it so wrong all the time. I know before somebody comes and says, oh, look at what happened in Bihar. Look, Denik Bhaskar did predict a Mahakadwandan government. Denik Bhaskar kind of got it right. I'm not going to include the seawater range where uh, 100 to 140. That that's not a prediction in my view. So I'm I'm going to leave the sea water out. But in America, the 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 <laughs> the, the misery of the world, the pollsters is that I think when they call people up and they ask them who are they going to vote for, <laughs> they basically lie to them with a straight face. So do you think Americans are the best poker players on planet Earth?
1: <laughs> well, there's been a lot of speculation about the shy Trump voter, quote-unquote. Um, uh, many poll stars are saying that uh, this, this phenomenon of a shy Trump voter is, is, uh, is making it difficult for poll stars to come out with any sort of predictions. I don't know. I'm not a sophologist. Neither do I. And I, I, I do understand that this is not an exact science. So a little bit of margin for error we should tolerate that but the way the results have consistently predicted biden to be ahead by at least eight or nine points sometimes ten points the results do not belie that fact so where is the problem uh, many american sophologists right now are writing columns in u.s media explaining why they went wrong there was one sophologist i'm forgetting the name of that person who who got it right in 2016 and he wasn't too wide off the mark he predicted trump win this time he was wrong but he wasn't too wide of the mark, and he's got a very unconventional oh. method. I'm forgetting yeah, the name. I forgot of his name.
0: Interview. I saw him being hmm. interviewed by Ben Shapiro. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, so basically, he has a different method. What he says is that uh, many of these uh, methods, which the, which the pollsters in the the the, the conventional pollsters in US use, those are those have failed. That model has failed, and it is time chi- time for them to change that model because it's clearly not working, and it is really doesn't understand the Trump voter. And why that person is not coming out to say in exit polls that he's supporting Trump is something which they are pouring their minds over. I don't think that they have an an answer right now. But what we can guess in in absence of uh, any real clear uh, uh, picture is that many of the voters do not say the truth because Trump has been vilified by the left so much that for them, to, to admit that they're going to vote for Trump is for them to sort of take the baggage which has been placed on Trump on their own shoulders. And that we don't want to do as individuals. One of the reasons why people, uh, you know, the tribe culture works in people is that it, 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 this is a sort of induction. So induction. So uh, if Trump is, is, is a very really vile figure, as has been portrayed by the media all the time, and if I say openly that, look, I back Trump, then in a sense, I'm also backing all the stuff which Trump is blamed for, right or wrong. And most people, even though they recognize that Trump has been good for them, for instance, there was a trucker who came on Fox News a couple of days back and he said that he's going to organize a thousand truck movement for Trump, truckers for Trump movement where they will down their tools for one day just to protest the way the elections are handling. So the Fox News anchor wanted to know, why is it that they're backing Trump? And he said that, uh, you know, I, in the last four years, my wages have gone up 40%. My family is happy. I do not think that the guy who's coming in his place will be able to give me that sort of a a, a future. So I want him. So people want Trump because of the policies that he had implemented, but they might not be uh, very comfortable in owning up that they want Trump because of the fact that Trump has been vilified. So it is possible that they're misleading the pollsters, and which is why we have a very, but this is my own, uh, you know, uh, assumption. I, I, I'm I'm not a supporter, so I uh, wouldn't really venture more than that.
0: You know, so I was looking at some of the exit poll data, right? They were saying that, Now, obviously we'll have to wait for more data to trickle down. And and you know how the counting in America is mm-hmm. a, and disgusting. I mean, uh, I was talking to my friends in America. I was like, did you see Bihar? How what we did and how fast and efficient we are. And uh, that's just the way uh, America is. But so what was shocking to me was that OK, I understand the Venezuelans and the Cubans coming out and voting for Trump. They have you know, a history of coming from communist, leftist, fascist states and they have that baggage and they'll vote for him. But the African-American vote percentage seems to have gone up, especially African-American men. They have voted for right. Trump. Right. Then you have Asians. Definitely, there is an uptick, even within our own community, Indians, there is an uptick of people voting for Trump. In fact, in the Indian right. community, there is a historical lopsided, one-sided voting for the Democrats for years and years, like 85-15. I think it's going to come down to 70-30 or 65-35 this time in favor of Democrats. One shocker, would the Muslim vote increase for Trump. I mean, that has gone over my head. That has completely gone over my head. And especially Muslim men, again, have kind of voted for Trump in huge numbers. In huge numbers. I don't know what their thinking is. Uh, I I would like to know. But where Trump has really lost, basically, it seems is is the the old school white vote. I mean, they have simply abandoned him uh, and just gone helter skelter. But, But if we were to look at this this, this kind of exit poll data and okay, while we take the exit poll data with a grain of salt, but if we assume even a part of it is real, what are the conclusions then?
1: It's very interesting. You asked me this because I was going through the data. So let me run you through you. Trump's vote percentage has gone up plus 4% with black women among black men, right? Latinas, Latinos among LGBT, Trump has got larger share of non-white votes than any Republican president in the last 60 years. And his vote share has also gone up among the Muslims, right? Now, uh, so, and and, and one of the reasons why he probably lost this election is that his vote share has gone up, uh, gone down by around 18% among white men. So what are the conclusions that we can draw from this? I think the most important thing for us to understand is that people do not always vote ideology. Uh, Trump has, uh, you know, he has planned and he has implemented a bit of that plan to create 500,000 more jobs for black people. And this is something which the black community understands. Uh, It is all right to sort of vilify Trump as the supreme racist that ever existed on this earth. But when policies like that are getting implemented on the ground, people people are not morons. They can see and understand for themselves what, what exactly is happening. So that is one. Second is that the civil unrest which happened in, in, in the U.S. Uh, around three, four months back or maybe a couple of months back, many uh, uh, shops and commercial establishments were, which were owned by black people were demolished by the Black Lives uh, format, uh, you know, the BLM movement. And obviously that will have an electoral backlash and it had. And which is partly one of the reasons why the Muslims have also voted in larger numbers for Trump because people... At least in America, they care for law and order. And you would notice during those times when many of these Democrat-run uh, governments were were hesitating in deploying the police to control the for, you know the control the rioters on the streets, Trump would come out with these tweets called "law and order." He very much knew, <laughs> very much knew what was
0: happening. In Full caps.
1: Yeah, in full caps. You have to give it to Trump. He's not a conventional politician, but he can understand the pulse of the ordinary American much more than the elites can. And which is one of the reasons why he's such a formidable opponent for the Democrats. Because he understands instinctively, perhaps, because he's not spent his entire career in politics like Biden has. And which is also perhaps the reason why he understands his impulses. And the irony, the supreme irony, Trump is basically the most, uh, you know, he he comes from a background which is anything but but ordinary. But then he sort of uh, ran the election campaign in 2016. And Mm -hmm. also now, even after four years at the helm as someone who champions the cause of ordinary americans who are whose whose voice is <clears throat> despised by the the elites who do not understand them or their culture or their concerns
0: yeah so, so what do you think if let's say covid would not have happened do you think they would have beaten trump i i doubt it i think he would have walloped them
1: well i think uh, th- there is um, some very interesting analysis here uh, if you look at the states which suffered very badly from covid uh, the, the states where the death rates are quite high, uh, in uh, right now, in fact, in the U.S., you'll notice that Trump has done exceedingly well in those places, right? Uh, I think that it is, uh, to answer your question straightforward, I don't know. But I think that COVID, to a certain extent, has even helped Trump solidify some of the support that he had, because he's, he's taken a stance that he d- doesn't want a lockdown, and I think that resonated with a lot of people. I think it's too simplistic. I I do not know any one reason why Trump lost, but I I think that partly one of the things which happened this time was that the Democrats were able to sort of uh, strike some sort of a loose alliance between different factions. You would notice in 2016, the the, the Biden faction uh, almost was working against Hillary Clinton in a way. And, and it sort of undermined Hillary's support base in a, in, a, in a very big way. And it and after all, Hillary's defeat margin in 2016 to Trump wasn't that much in many places. So I think this time the progressives were on board. They will want their pound of flesh. They already started demanding a lot of things from, from Biden. But I think that was one important thing which happened this time. And secondly, I think um, the media, last time the media was uh, took Trump very lightly. It never gave... Trump a lot of seriousness. In 2016, it tr- took Trump as a as a clown who somehow came onto the stage and doesn't know what to do. But in 2020, they ran uh, with story as the uh, Trump as the evil incarnate and uh, a, a little bit of, a I, th- I think among the whites, certainly there has been a, a formulation of opinion on, the, on those lines, which is why I think it has gone uh, against him. Uh, but once again, I'm assuming that uh, there has been no fraud in elections in the U.S. This is something which I cannot, the you know, uh, say that you know we, we should be absolutely because uh, one thing which the elections in U.S. have taught you know uh, taught us is that the election process in India is way above uh, you know in terms of integrity, in terms of efficiency than what it is in the U.S. And I think the the process that is there in India we can trust it with. With a lot more degree of confidence than we can trust with what has happened in the US. For for me, it seems postal ballots arriving three four days after the elections. I don't know, I, I it seems very fishy to me. Maybe it's legal. I don't know.
0: Well, uh, uh, Tejaswi Yadav says his sentiments are hurt too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, th- so this is the interesting part. So I remember I was on a friend's podcast and we were discussing uh, who can beat Trump a year and a half ago and he found it very weird when i told him that i think there is only one man who can beat trump and that is uh, joe biden i'll give you my analysis so i, I told him that trump is someone he- he's like a boxer he needs a dancing partner a sparring partner somebody he can spar with with joe biden you get the most boring i'm at the just It's just boring. And it's very interesting that Joe Biden's from Delaware. I mean, I I, I, I used to have my family used to be from Delaware. So I know the state very well. It is typical Joe Biden. Like Joe Biden is Delaware. It has nothing to do. And it is boring. So he was not basically going to dance the dance with Trump. He was not going to spar with Trump. So Trump is like a hammer looking for a nail. And Joe Biden (laughs) was not going to be that nail. And I think he was the only guy who could have beaten Trump and... I think he's proven that. So do you think there was any other candidate who could have possibly beaten Trump other than Joe Biden?
1: I agree with your analysis. In fact, there is a very sound logic behind your analysis. And I'll tell you that logic. See, uh, Trump is on the one side. Trump is a a cult figure who who, who arouses extreme passion in people. And it would have helped Trump if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders was opposite him. Then he could have gone to the town saying that, look, these are the socialists. They'll come and they'll increase your taxes. They'll defund the police, they'll, uh, you know, pack the super, all those socialist left loony agendas. it would have gone to town with that. And, uh, it, and you know, Cold War is, is a, a couple of decades back, but still people have a memory of what what, what socialism is and what Cold War was. So, but with Biden on board, a guy who's spent his entire career on the Senate and who's never, he's so antiseptic. I mean, he's never said anything controversial except co- perhaps a couple of places. And he, he he doesn't hold a strong opinion. He's malleable. He's likable. So Trump was devoid of that animus, as it were, against whom he would have placed himself and trumped. So it, it became difficult for him when it was Biden. Because Biden, and, and another thing from the Democrat side, as I told you just now, that uh, Biden being the middle of the figure, road, middle of the road guy, it became easier for the centrist Democrats and the leftist Democrats to rally around him. Had it been a leftist per se, like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, many of the centrist Democrats might not have felt too enthused about him. That would have benefited Trump. But since Biden is, is the sort of guy with whom you you cannot disagree with him very vigorously, neither can you agree with him you know, very passionately. He's a sort of fellow with, with whom you'll have some sort of an agreement always or maybe disagreement a little bit. So it helped uh, that it, and it was probably the only person who could have beaten Trump. I agree with you there.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally, uh, I, I was like, you know, Biden is so Delaware, you can't beat Delaware, you need Delaware, <laughs> you just need it there. And, and so it's like, you know, when you live in Delaware, you don't do anything over there. You go to New York, you go to Philadelphia, you go to New Jersey, you go to Baltimore, you go to other cities which are in other states neighboring Delaware. There's nothing to do there. That is what Joe Biden is. He was fit for that state. That's what uh, his personality was. And even in the debates uh, if you remember the first debate when trump tried to hammer him he came off very bad because biden was just like mm. oh that's all he was mm. he was just there <laughs> and then trump had to change his strategy uh the second debate got cancelled and trump had to change his strategy in the third debate where actually trump did better but then mm. now let's uh you know segue into the main the meat of the issue for us as indians living in india where do we go from here so Let us assume that Biden is going to be the president of the next president of the United States of America, and my first question then to you would be: Is this going to be a Biden presidency, or considering the kind of health Joe Biden is in, where we can obviously clearly see signs of early dementia? uh, You know, let's not hide behind uh, anything. And is this going to be a Kamala Harris uh, presidency? Because if it's a Biden presidency. It means completely different things for India. I'm not saying whether they are good per se or bad per se. But if it's a Kamala Harris presidency, you've had Kamala Harris openly, you know, quoting the members of the squad, which is uh, Ilan Omar, Rashida Taleb, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and, and, you know, all those people. And Kamala Harris has been very vocal about Kashmir about CA and RC. Now somebody might come back and tell me, but even Biden made that post, but there's a huge difference. That is just the Biden camp putting an article out, but Kamala Harris has gone out of the way to make some of these points. So, so what are we looking at? So in your view, first of all, is this a Biden presidency or a Harris presidency? And if either or, which one is better for us? Uh,
1: To unpack the first question, I think that uh, it will be a Biden presidency. I do not see, at least in the first term, I don't think biden will be a two term president i think one term will be enough for him in the first time i do not see biden relinquishing the the control of the government to kamala harris uh, kamala harris has uh, is a very strong personality she was a prosecutor that's fine but then uh, we have to also understand the inner dynamics of the democrat party and the democrat party even though it has taken a turn to the left it still has a fair number of centrists inside it and those centrists will feel extremely uncomfortable if kamala harris were to call the shots in in terms of cabinet formation. But to answer your question, I think we need to wait a little bit more and figure out uh, uh, and and we will get a a sort of assumption maybe turned into a a sort of conviction the moment we see the cabinet postings. Right now, the cabinet postings haven't yet started. The appointments are at a very preliminary stage. Only Ron Klain has been appointed as the chief of staff, which tells me that it is going to be Biden because Ron Klain is a guy who is very pally with Biden. He has walked with Biden when he was actually the chief of staff at when Biden was the vice president, so with whom Biden has a very good relationship. So, uh, with Ron Klein at the White House, and, and he's the guy who's the key guy who will be making recommendations to the president on the number of appointments that will be made in sensitive, uh, you know, um, appointments such as secretary of state, defense secretary, and stuff. Uh, to me, it, it seems that it is going to be Biden, but we should not also uh, undermine thus the, the the pressure the leftist the progressive faction will have and they have already started pressurizing biden i am i am seeing bernie sanders i i heard the other day aoc coming out with a statement that bernie sanders should get a cabinet post uh, elizabeth warren is also pressurizing biden they know very well that uh, this uh, victory over trump wouldn't have been possible had the socialists not uh, you know animated their base and, 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 and you know one of the things about the, the Democratic Party right now is that the party's youngest wing, the wing where, which is the most energetic, the activist wing, that is completely leftist. The centrists are the more middle-aged, you know, closer to, uh, you know, senile guys who've, who've been Democrats all their entire life. But the young blokes who are fresh coming out of universities and colleges, the blokes who actually drive a party forward, those blokes are leftists. So there's a lot of energy on the leftist corner. And uh, that is why I say that this victory wouldn't have been possible had not been that had it not been for that base, which which was out on the streets with their activism before the elections. So they will seek their pound of flesh. Having said that, I do not see this as, as, as a Kamala Harris presidency. Now to turn to your other question, what will happen? See, um, I am not very sure on this. Uh, I've written a piece a couple of days back where I've cl- mentioned it very clearly that uh, the, the U.S.-India policies. There will be a pressure from the leftists. There will be a pressure from the from from that side. The Biden-Harris administration will have to resist that pressure and understand that India is a sovereign country and it has taken some whatever decision it takes is is, is a decision which is ratified by the people because it's a democracy. It's not an author, authoritarian state. So it calls for respect of India. It, it doesn't the Biden-Harris administration cannot afford to be condescending towards India. Uh, to what degree will that, will that, does that risk uh, lie, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what what kind of risk does it possess? Uh, I think that it, this answer is still up in the air. Uh, if we look at what Kamala Harris has done uh, leading up to the, to the, to the campaign in the initial stages, uh, she was vocally backing Pramila Jaipal, the US Congresswoman who wanted, who brought a resolution against India on the and, uh, in, the, in the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Then she also wanted to be part of a panel in which uh, uh, S. Jaisankar, our external affairs minister, was supposed to be present. And uh, he pulled out uh, because the, the panel refused to admit, you know, uh, uh, refused to uh, ac- ac- accede to the, the minister's request. And, uh, and following day, Kamala Harris came out with a tweet uh, saying that uh, she completely b- backs what Japal had said. So these are the things which people won't forget, and Kamla Harris brings with her with this this entire thing. India will be suspicious about her. Having said that, I think, and it is one thing to say all these things when you are not in the government, and quite another when you are part of a government which has a a, a a huge degree of strategic convergence with India, and you will know that if you if you comment, if you make comments like that, it will not be well received. And it may jeopardize the relationship in a a certain way because Indians are inherently skeptical about the US. Their closeness with the US has been driven in the recent days almost entirely by the expansionism of China, by what it sees as the Chinese threat. Now, India has has committed itself to a large extent without being a part of the formal alliance structure. India has still uh, led itself to a very large extent uh, to be a very... A solid member of the U.S. led security architecture in the Indo-Pacific. However, if India perceives that the new administration which has come here is prone to lecturing it on democracy and on liberalism, I don't think it will be taken very kindly here. And uh, and this the administration in India right now is not one to wring hands. It will it will push back, and it it and it will create some sort of a bad blood. So I think the Biden Harris administration will be calculating all these things before it makes any comment like that. And I would be surprised. If it really does, anything on those lines.
0: Yeah, but uh, don't you think historically, if we were to make a historical uh, analysis, there is this trend. We always notice that uh, Republican presidents tend to be better for India in a larger sense. Uh, or that that analysis or that that hypothesis is inaccurate
1: yeah it is it is said that uh, the the democrats are uh, the power for the atlantic and the republicans are the power for the pacific uh, that that hypothesis is there and uh, uh, i i think i think that to a, to a certain degree uh, there is a lot of skepticism in the among the strategic analysts in india about what kind of a relationship uh, and will the tempo of the relationship will, will be sustained under biden harris let's not forget that uh, one of the reasons why there has been a wind in the sales of india us uh, you know uh, uh, convergence in 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 the last few years under trump is because of the of the very antagonistic posture which trump has taken against china it, it suits india a lot and trump has been very clear in fact he is the first president to to make it very clear to americans that china poses uh, you know poses an existentialist threat not just to the america uh, country per se, but also the liberal order which America has has led after the post after the after the Second World War, and Trump has been very clear about the nature of the threat which China poses. And and towards the later part of his uh, of his of his reign, uh, in the last couple of years, Trump has been pushing back against China in a very big way. This has suited India because uh, let, let's just take one example. India banned TikTok, and everyone said that oh, this is nothing. Uh, TikTok ban will not make any difference whatsoever. But once Trump started citing, uh, putting pressure on TikTok to fall in line or else, then India's decision. Trump, Trump made it. You know, uh, 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 the India's decision got bigger bang for the buck, and it acted as the, the the decision by Trump has acted as a force multiplier. So this close synergy between India and US has been noticeable in in, in the last few years, in the last couple of uh, years, definitely under Trump. And uh, I think uh, India became very comfortable with signing foundational uh, agreements with the US, also because of the fact that Trump's adversarial posture against China created the necessary political space in India for the administration to grow closer. This is very important. Inherently, because of the colonial past, Indians are not very they uh, they are skeptical of outside powers. They the the, the word uh, uh, you know non-alignment and strategic autonomy has lasted so long as it did not just because it was a philosophical fancy of the ruling elite, but it had a degree of resonance on the street as well. Inherently, Indians are skeptical of outside outside powers because of the of the colonial history that they possess. That that memory is still there is still there. Now, regardless of that. In the last couple of years, we have seen remarkable progress in India-US relationship. And I'll just run you through a couple of them. In terms of agreements, we have the ComCASA, the BECA, the Logistics Exchange Memorandum of Agreement, which is called the LEMOA. We have dialogues, uh, two and two, which is ministerial plus intersessional. We have the quadrilateral arrangement, where uh, we, have, we now have Malabar, where Australia has come in. We do more exercises with the US than any other country. And our defense trade with the US is right now booming all these synergies wouldn't have been possible had it not been for the fact that Trump had taken uh, 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 a sort of Trump, did not mask the fact that China is a threat and it was completely out in the open. So people appreciated that even in India, people appreciated that and it created the political space for Modi government to take the steps that it did. And I would say that in the last couple of months, and certainly since the the Galwan uh, tragedy incident, foreign policy decisions in India have been pulled along by the vocal public opinion, which has always been the other way around foreign policy has always been the, you know, the, the, the one which has been guided by the Babus were sitting in the bureaucrats and, and, you know, the elites, uh, the strategic analysts, but for the first time since the Galwan clash broke out, I think, uh, we, I, I certainly remember many occasions, uh, you know, uh, where the antagonism against China has, was almost forced India's hands to take a tougher posture against China, uh, almost goading India into going to war, as it were. So uh, this is where the India, uh, the last couple of months, India and the US has been very comfortable. Pompeo's frequently come here and um, Pompeo's made it very clear that India lies at the heart of Indo-Pacific strategy. So India, from from being skeptical towards the US, India went into a, a position of extreme comfortability, which led to such an agreement. But if Biden comes and Biden will be completely within his right to um, dial down the antagonism which Trump administration has towards China, he might not, he might not, um, you know, uh, think of China as a, as, an, as a friend. He might not, you know, everyone, even the Democrats understand that uh, China is not going to change. They are, they are not going to open up. They are suddenly not going to turn democratic. They understand that. But do I think that Democrats will have a different approach to, uh, to China? Yes. And how does that affect India? I think it will create a challenge. It will create a challenge for Biden. Because if if Biden wants some sort of a reset with China, he will immediately alienate India. Because then India will start having uh, trust issues with the US. It might not be able to trust uh, the the Biden-Harris administration. And then we might see the Quad or the Malabar dialing down. We might see uh, the movement which is there right now, the movement getting slowed down. But we will have to see. We'll have to see that. A lot also depends on uh, the appointments, because don't forget, policy is almost always driven by the personnel. If you see somebody like Michelle Flournoy uh, coming up as the as the defense secretary in charge of Pentagon, uh, that would be a more reassuring sign for India because she's one of the uh, one of the persons who's very clear eyed about China. But if you see Susan Rice in that role, someone who's uh, uh, who's who's completely misread China, and the threat that it poses to the it poses to the world, then it will be difficult for India. India will be noticing that.
0: Yeah, isn't uh, so? And it, it actually kind of boils down to China, right? The China is the Achilles heel, and a lot of what uh, is stored in the future of Indo-American relationships actually depends on how America does the deal with China, and. Uh, like Trump was, as he said, very clearly anti-China. He was like, I I see. So Trump was and people don't realize that. If anybody who's heard Donald Trump, even when he was not the president, like even in the nineties, when Donald Trump would come on TV and he would comment, he was very anti-China then too. He was very clear about what the the Americans are doing with China, they're propping China up is not good for America. And he's been consistent on that. So people don't give Donald Trump enough credit when it comes to his policy consistency on this one. I mean, his views have been consistent uh, consistent from the 90s, 80s. He's always been saying these things. But Biden is not like that. Biden is different. And what scares me is that, let's say, Biden, year, two years down the line, kind of physically impaired, mentally impaired. Harris is basically not capable of doing anything. She's just a novice. I mean you just you should just look at her record as a politician and you'll understand. And the American establishment takes over, which was in a very weird you know, in a very weird way. It was Donald Trump who was controlling them. <laughs> Donald Trump was basically controlling the American establishment. That's definitely not good news for at least India per se. Uh, Pakistan might, you know, uh, benefit in in a very weird way and Pakistan, you might see Pakistan, you know, raising the Kashmir ante again. Right now, I mean, you know, Pakistan, even if it does, nobody really listened to Pakistan. They didn't care. I mean, the Americans were like, you know what, beyond a point, they don't care. Don't you think India should be really worried about that?
1: See, at the end of the day, we have to work with whatever we have, whoever America chooses and this administration um, the modi government will work with them as as and, and they'll try to and, and there's no reason for us to think that the the, the indian government is not aware of the, all these threats they're very much aware of it and i'm sure the lobbying and 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 the effort by the diplomats based in the us uh, indian diplomats based in the us uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure of, of of those things um but as far as skepticism is concerned i think there is a lot for us to be skeptical about Biden has boasted that he spent more time with Xi uh, privately, uh, you know, slurping Chaomains and uh, logging air miles than any other foreign leader. And Biden has always been pro-China. His anti-China rhetoric is almost entirely a matter of campaigning, political campaigning, and I don't buy into that at all. I think I think uh, Biden is almost, um, he's, he's, he's one of those people who thinks of China as an opportunity. And one of the things we, that we completely fail to understand the americans will tell you that they opened up to uh, they, they they started aiding china because they thought that aiding china will help china open up and will uh in you know make china a democratic nation which is absolute i mean i and i i i, th- I think we'll, i'll be i'll be i'll be politically incorrect and i'll say it's absolute bullshit. they also know that it's not true the reason why america uh, wanted china to open up and the reason why america aided china's rise was that they were uh, you know, it's a capitalist nation, and wanted the Chinese market. It's as simple as that. It was in America's interest to penetrate into the Chinese market, and it saw in China an, an unbelievable opportunity for American businesses to expand, which is why. And it's all right now to sort of uh, do a post facto justification, but uh, that was the real reason. I see. Uh, uh, I, I do not think that um, the American political establishment, the 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 deep state, as it were, it has shed its. Um, uh, or, 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 or let's just say that the the skepticism which Trump brought into the White House. I don't think that this skepticism will outlive him, because uh, uh, Trump has always been uh, an outsider. He's never been a part of the American political establishment, and he never bought into those ideological predispositions. He came in. He he came and he saw every relationship from a very transactional point of view. This was this was uh, a benefit of not being part of the establishment like Biden was. So. When he looked at China, he saw that China is basically ripping the U.S. off. So he first wanted to to do a deal with them, but that deal didn't come off the way he wanted it to. And then I think he also came to understand a lot of the ways in which the Chinese have penetrated American society at every level. Uh, One of the reasons is that, uh, you know, any democracy is open and and the openness of democracy can be uh, exploited by the authoritarian states and their operatives. So that is something which all democracy must be on guard against and and i think for to, to give him credit trump understood that quite well if you look at the last few months of his uh, of his uh, of his administration the the, uh, the speeches done by pompeo or christopher ray or even marcus Parr they were very clear about the fact that china is is, is 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 doing a whole of government and whole of society effort to upstage the us as the predominant power and it requests the U.S. to to take a whole of government and whole of society approach to thwart that. This is the level of uh, clear-eyedness which Trump brought into the White House, and I'm not very sure that uh, Biden um, belongs to that 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 camp. I think Biden is more of a uh, more of an adjustment guy. Biden will try and make deals with China. We um, will say that uh, look, um, I need China's uh, help in climate, uh, you know, in in battling the 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 climate war and i and i cannot do without china and that might give china the the space necessary to stave off some of the geopolitical pressure which the trump administration had brought on it where does it leave india uh, it it it's, it's it's a matter of conjecture
0: yeah and that's what i'm worried about i mean, just to give you an example of the way china functions i mean so people don't realize that the, the, the NBA their second biggest market outside of the United States of America now is China. China basketball is huge in China, huge. So there was this, I think it was a year and a half ago, if I remember correctly, Houston Rockets is a national basketball association team. And some, I, I don't know who it was, the manager or the owner. He had made an off the cuff remark about uh, China and what they're doing over there. And overnight, all Houston Rockets merchandise in All stores in China was gone. You will never see the greatest basketball player alive today, LeBron James, ever uttering a word about what's happening with the Uyghur Muslims in China. They'll never utter a word. It's as if, And that's the kind of pressure China exerts even when Trump is in the presidency. So imagine the kind of pressure China exerts when Biden is in the presidency.
1: Yeah, it could be. Uh, it is, uh, uh, I mean, we, we should not be under any illusions about that. Um, Mesut Ozil, uh, he made the mistake of tweeting in favor of the Uyghur Muslims. He came out with a tweet where he said that what China is doing in, in the Xinjiang region is not right. And after that, you know, Mesut Ozil's entire career has been almost erased. You know, is not part of Arsenal anymore, though publicly Arsenal says that it has got nothing to do with the tweet. But the fact is that Premier League is very big in China, and uh, China made no bones about the fact that Arsenal will have will be completely unwelcome. If uh, in fact, even Premier League will be unwelcome if Mesut Ozil is part of the squad. China is able to do this because obviously, because it is not a democracy, and uh, the government can can uh, sort of um, crystallize its its point of view almost as a sharp tip of the spear, uh, unlike let's say in democracies where many voices sometimes dilute the messages which the government tries to send there will be the government sending one message civil society sending another message media saying another thing but in china everything comes together almost like the tip of a spear and then it can absolutely penetrate you also another thing which we under, do not un, which we underestimate about china is that many of the things about china we tend to believe that is is uh, is is done from the top by the ccp it might not be true many of the things are also done by the people who are at the very bottom in fact uh, the uh, the example which you just gave about Houston Rockets. The important thing to understand here is that had such a thing happened in India and even if the government had given uh, NBA a very strong warning that it should not do such a thing and it otherwise it would be thrown out, unlikely. But even if had the Indian government given it, there will be almost half of Indians who are fans of NBA who would go against the government water and, and watch it anyway through VPN or by any mm. other means. But in China, the government will Basically, before even the government saying it, the moment LeBron James or any other MB- Houston Rocket star will say some, something like that, most people in China will say, how dare he? And so the government policy will be shaped by public opinion rather than the other way around. So it becomes easier for the government to take a step like that. I think this is something which we uh, sometimes uh, fail to understand. The Chinese society is also very unified in its messaging. And uh, the uh, it, is, it is reflexive for us to think That an individual wants personal liberty and freedom more than prosperity and it would it would always value personal liberty and freedom ahead of everything else. But this is not necessarily true. At least there could be some bit of conjecture when we come to the Chinese people and Chinese civilization. It is possible that there is another explanation that the people rank prosperity and their facilities towards, towards life much better. And, and, and they are more disciplined and they, and they are more likely to be obedient towards the government if they think that the government is providing them with the resources that they need to get ahead in life. So I think that the, the, the way of looking at, at, at civilization and, and all these, all these uh, ideological questions, uh, it, it needs sometimes a little bit of a pause when you are th- talking about the Chinese society and culture. It is not the same as it, as it is in the Western uh, you know, concept. In fact, one of the reasons why I'm digressing a little bit, but one of the reasons why you find that the U.S. is making a hash of its elections is the fact that the U.S. doesn't have an election commission. It doesn't have a unified body which dictates the policy terms of how an election should be held simply because the U.S. is so individualistic and so and 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 the. The states will not relinquish the control. So, they will have their own set of laws. Even the counties will have their own set of laws. And if yeah. as a president, if you want to bring a federal law to make everyone fall in line, people will push back against it. Although, not only whereas, push back, the country will break. Will, yeah. As you saw in masks, something as, as simple as wearing a mask, it became political. I mean, people didn't want to wear it because they thought that it's curbing their freedom.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, as they say, every society has its own raison d'être, and the raison d'être of America is freedom and individuality. They, they're they like, <laughs> and that's how they are. Exactly.
1: The mistake that we make sometimes is that we try to define one society in terms of another. Instead of instead of taking it as different societies with different set of rules and their reasonings. Then many of the things which we are puzzled up right now, it will fall in place. A government, however authoritarian it is, cannot command an entire set of people if the people do not want to be commanded by the government. I mean, otherwise there would have been reformed. I see, I see a lot of, uh, you know, essays in Western media about how a revolt is brewing in China. Many of the things, serious scholars, Chinese serious scholars, they don't give too much importance to these, these, these uh, columns. They don't think that there is seriously a trouble or a revolt brewing in the Chinese society in the CCP. If anything, the opposite is the case. Uh, after the coronavirus, many rating agencies have, even the Western media ones, they have gone there and asked about, and they say that we are happy that Xi Jinping is our president and not Donald Trump.
0: Hmm. And we
1: are talking about That's ordinary good. Chinese people here.
0: Yeah, so, so let me now start delve into the one place which is very important and I'll actually take a question from somebody who's uh, asked this question to you live. Uh, Sriram Prasanna has also asked this question and I think I can segue it into the last segment before we wrap things up. So, Sriram Prasanna has said, did India make a mistake by not joining the RCEP?
1: I I don't think so. I think think it was in India's interest to not join it because India is not a export-driven economy. And joining an RCEP would have meant a de facto free trade agreement with China, because China would have rooted its uh, goods entirely into, into India through the RCEP and it would have been suicidal for Indian economy. So to, to answer your question, no, I think, I think it was in India's interest to, to stay away from RCEP. And RCEP has been, um, uh, you know, uh, it, is, it is mostly for, for economies that are export oriented. Indian economy is not. It is, it is more of an import oriented economy.
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> now let us look at the last segment. I wanted to keep this for the end, is the trade. Now, under Donald Trump, as you had mentioned, Indo-American trade reached a certain point of comfort where we were slowly, even when it comes to our defense purchases, we were you know, letting the Americans in in some areas while we kept the Russians there too. Now, if, let's say, I'm just saying, if, if the Biden... Harris Presidency, tries to, you know, chide us a little too much on Kashmir or CA and NRC, do you think at a trade level, we do have this card now that was built on the basis of a healthy relationship we, we or whatever we want to call it with, with Donald Trump, do you think that could be used as a card in the future?
1: I think, first of all, we do not need to worry about what the Biden-Harris administration says. Even if it takes a strident stand against internal politics and policies, it will be conveyed to the to the to the US that it is not welcome. And I, I don't think that uh, and and this is something which we have to understand. Uh, this is not the Obama era. It is not the post Cold War era where the US, uh, you know, uh, what shall I say The the it, it is it is not as if the us can send prescriptions out for the the democracies worldwide to follow it doesn't work that way first of all the the composite power of the us has lessened dramatically since that and india as a nation is also reason there has been some sort of i wouldn't say parity at all there is there is no question of that but and i'm talking about the margins but india's power and india's influence in the world is reason so uh, it is right now india and uh, in, let's say in 2000 in the early part of the uh, of of, of the new millennium maybe uh, a, a remark from the us president about about uh, the uh, what it perceives to be and, and I'm, I'm very clear on this I, I do not think that india has violated any or, or made anything wrong in its policies in kashmir i'm very clear on that but if the us president would have perceived that india has made uh, or, or whatever India has done is not compatible with its own ideals of democracy, and you'd have said something like that, then it is possible that the Indians would have taken it seriously. I don't think that this is the case right now. I think, if anything, the Indians will push back against it, and and and, and the U.S. will understand that there is no... At the end of the day, nations work in self-interest. If you see that you And India is it's a very important cog in the U.S. wheel, uh, because when it comes to China, it, this U.S. is seriously short of, uh, you know, uh, options to push back against China. I'm talking about the maritime domain. India is a very, very key ingredient there. So it would be a mistake for them to antagonize India needlessly. As far as trade is concerned, in fact, many analysts are saying that it will probably uh, see some sort of a progress under the Biden administration because Trump, uh, even though he was, uh, he came to India's aid on geopolitics, on trade, he wasn't as, as, as beneficial. In fact, Trump's very peculiar stress on something like, uh, you know, um, the Harley-Davidson motorbikes. Yeah. Are very strident, uh, very strident uh, sort of uh, note on trade. That would be perhaps moderated a bit by the heads administration. We might see an uptick in trade. Not defense trade, but also normal, the, the the other part of the trade that is concerned. The defense trade is already booming and I think that that, that will continue to grow. And I, I do not see India becoming self-reliant in defense production anytime soon. It will still be a quite a long distance. Right now, I think India will become, uh, India is and it will continue to import a large degree of its sophisticated weaponry from, from the U.S. Uh, in trade, I see the biden harris administration actually uh, uh, probably, uh, you know, coming to some sort of uh, an agreement with India. And, and you will probably see some sort of an increase in, on trade. And uh, on another area where the Biden-Hadris administration might be beneficial for India is the immigration policy. Trump's immigration policies were some of the very harshest ones. Uh, here, I think the biden harris will take a more lenient stand. But as far as your question was concerned, uh, whether India can use that as a trade, once again, I think we are putting too much importance on what Biden-Harris administration can say on Kashmir. And even if it does, in to what extent, it can be it can harm India. I don't see. Uh, first of all, if you are if you are taking that as an assumption, if you are if if you are suggesting that we need to push back against them by blocking trade, then we are we are we are, we are assuming that whatever they say on on India's internal politics and policies hold a lot of importance for us to react. I don't think that situation will come about. I I don't think that seriously, uh, they they have that geopolitical or or, or any other sort of influence uh, by which they can actually... uh, I I don't think that they'll make that mistake. I think they will be more circumspect.
0: Yeah, also, I think a lot of what depends on is uh, what happens with COVID. I think people are not realizing that the numbers in America are at a certain point now. I'm I'm very clear. I've never been a supporter of lockdowns. I think lockdowns don't work. The science is very clear. Lockdowns just don't work. But with a Biden presidency on top, he might do something crazy like force federal lockdowns. In fact, yes. I mean, this is I, I
1: I I I forgot to mention this. I think one of the things which we in India we've been discussing a lot about how a Biden heads administration will will see India. I think India is the farthest from their mind right now. They have a lot on their plate. Uh, COVID is certainly at the very top. And also the fact that the economy is not doing well. And I think uh, they, they'll have to uh, sort of bring many of the jobs which have been lost due to this pandemic back. And uh, I think I think their immediate focus will be on the pandemic. And it is interesting. Um, the uh, Biden had had chat with uh, uh, with I think the Prime Minister of Japan and also Australia, uh, but he didn't call up Modi. And I think this question was put up to uh, the Indian government as well during the Foreign uh, uh, External Affairs Ministry briefing. And it was said that it will happen when it has to happen. I think that uh, uh, both sides understand that uh, signaling on India, positive or negative, is not uppermost at the minds of the Biden administration. They They are more interested in transition and, of course, the pandemic. So uh, right now, I think the, the, the relationship will be on autopilot. It will go as it was going for a while. And medium to long term, I might see uh, we might see some sort of a change in approach. It will be clear how it approaches China. That will hold a clue for India.
0: Yes. Yeah, so just, uh, just for a passing remark uh, before we wrap things up. What is going to happen to the American media? They had such a great run for four years. I mean, Orange Man bad. I mean, somebody just, uh, somebody watching it live, they just made a comment, comment that CNN compares Trump to Hitler, you know, in a very hyperbolic manner. But do you think the media houses will go bankrupt now that Orange Man is gone?
1: <laughs> I think I, I I'd say that the Orange Man is not going anywhere. He'll be around and uh, there are a couple of websites in fact more than a couple of websites in the us media space who make their bread and butter by scanning what trump said or didn't say so those people they are probably dreading trump's going away from the scene because their businesses will be, uh, will, be will be collapsing but i think trump is not going away anytime soon i think he'll all, he'll be on the national radar he has his he has his way of staying in the news he will be there and uh, uh, for the media which has which had whipped up which itself up into a frenzy over the over, over trump and his team and and how he used to run the government uh, they will have a hard time finding the ratings i think be, <laughs> if i have i don't know maybe they are i i don't see them uh going after the biden government at all in fact if anything if we see how they're trying to protect the biden government biden basically hid in his basement without having to face any of the tough questions that trump faced uh you know obviously trump is the president and he would be facing questions but even then if you're challenging for the president's job you better tell us what your policies are and how do you plan. None of these questions were asked of him. And the way the controversy over Hunter Biden was uh, buried under the carpet, is ridiculous. It probably yeah. backfired. It probably backfired because many people, had it been out in the open for people to judge, they would have probably said that, no, it's nothing. It's it's just a trumped up story. But the moment you start and the social media, I forgot to mention the big tech, the way they have been aiding the Biden government by, by suppressing the uh, you know, whatever Trump used to say and stuff like that. I'll be interested to see what they does as well. The big tech and its holdover media is also a very important thing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it was just this one man against the whole bloody establishment in that country. It's like Bolly- Hollywood, the big tech, media. It's just everybody, just that orange man, bad, orange man, bad. And it was very <laughs> honest, somebody, like I'll be very open. Like I... I I'm a libertarian so i would if i was in america i would be voting for joe jorgensen but well you can say i'm wasting my vote. Uh, not that i don't know about that <laughs> but uh, i've never been an admirer of trump but and it's b- primarily because of trump's personality but yeah trump could be an interesting opposition guy and imagine if he runs again in 2024 that would be hilarious
1: yeah that's what i'm saying and uh i, I another things said- that Ultimately, uh, we we have to understand is that uh, Trump has has always said that, and, and this was the 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 key part of his campaign that the elites who are there in charge of the, of the of of the Washington DC the swamp as it were they despise you and they do not have any concern for you at all they're only interested in their own in in, in lining their own pockets and extending their own influence, and the way that the The campaign has unfolded in the way Trump has been vilified. It would seem that the very fact that he had the very charges that he had leveled against the the elites, they have vindicated him in every way. And this is something I think is is, is a victory for Trump because um, uh, Trump has been defeated as a U.S. president. But as a political force, he's still there. His appointments in the U.S. Supreme Court will be there. Uh, it right now enjoys a conservative majority, unless the the Democrats pack the court, and, and and the most important thing is that Trump has made uh, a, a a viable political coalition out of the ordinary working class Americans, who are now against the elites. The elites have won this battle, uh, by 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 hook or by crook they have won it. But the but but the working class Americans who are solidly in t- Trump's corner, they they are uh, they they don't they have not given up, and I don't think that this is a battle which has been won comprehensively. Trump is defeated, but the ideas that he stood for has not been defeated.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a perfect way to wrap things up for today that Trump might be defeated, but Trumpism is still alive. And Trumpism is something that is far more deeper uh, than uh, people realized uh, initially. So, so, Shreemoy, once again, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank and you, I look you. forward to many more conversations.
1: Thank you so much. It be a pleasure thank you
0: all right guys time to wrap things up uh, if you like what i'm doing over here please subscribe to the podcast like this video leave your comments if you uh, if you're an audio only listener you know you can uh, you can uh, do the same over there i've left uh, uh, shrimoy's bio in the description you can definitely go and check out all his articles in firstpost.com or maybe you can go up at i think it's called muckrack or muckracker or something where you can get you know read everything that uh, Shimoy has written. If you like what I'm doing over here, you can become join the YouTube membership program or the Patreon subscription. And also uh, wish you all a very happy Diwali. And I wanted yes. to tell you guys, let you guys know that uh, today, uh, finally uh, being Diwali, I have launched the merchandise store. So if you go on www.koshalmehra.com slash shop, you can actually buy the merch now. And on that note, I'll leave you guys for the day. Have a great Diwali. If you can, Burst Crackers, please do. And see you next time. Namaste. Take care. Goodbye. Thank you.